Mary Catherine Cobb, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? Fantastic. Thanks for being on my little podcast. They could. I'm so happy to to do it. Um, this is such strange times. So any kind of bright spot yeah. like this is um, I'm all for. So thanks for having me. The home decor. We're we're having a home decor competition. <laughs> you and I right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm at my dining room table. Where are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm at my dining room table. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, exactly. You know, I. I some reason that's what's working out. It gets me out of my office. Gets me yeah. out of the office. <laughs> right, right. The dining so, room sort of seems like um, one of those rooms that's sort of off to the side for special occasions like Thanksgiving yeah. or Christmas. So my kids usually don't find me. Yeah. So where do you have them locked away right now? Or who, who's like you know who's got them hostage? Um, they are all in the neighborhood. Um, okay. We actually, we actually live we live in the heart of Atlanta, but yeah. our neighborhood is. Um, really unique. It's sort of a, feels like a leave it to beaver kind of neighborhood. Um, we all have kids running in and out of houses and we don't lock our doors and yeah. I'm cooking dinner for other people's kids at least twice a week and they're doing mine. So it's just, it's a very Americana neighborhood. I'm happy we're able to have our kids grow up in. It's fantastic. Well, you can't be more Americana than Thomasville. So wait a minute. That's true. That's very wait a true. Minute. Uh, yeah, you, you just managed to uh, up Thomasville somehow. <laughs> this is a neighborhood like you would find in Thomasville. Got it. Right. You right. to Atlanta. Where you grew up, of course. And, you know, we have a few things in common. I was you know, born in Savannah and grew up in that area. And you right. Were born in Thomasville, two different parts of the state of Georgia. Um, you stayed, well, you're in Atlanta and, um, and I ended up in Tampa Bay, Tampa, St. Petersburg, Florida. Um, but, uh, I was just in Georgia visiting some family a few weeks ago. So, um, it's, it's, it's got home, right? It's Here, home. Here's a very important question for you. Um, who do you root, root, uh, root for in <laughs> Georgia, Florida? You can't believe you would ask that question. <laughs> Absolutely. As a kid, as a kid, it was it was Georgia all all the time. It was I was you know I was definitely the Georgia Bulldog as a kid. But I ended up going to University of Florida. Man. Oh no, you're a Gator. Oh <laughs> yeah, right, right. So then it was over. But I'll be honestly, the first year at Florida, I wasn't into the I wasn't into the football or anything. So I didn't really convert till a little bit later. Um, so it took a while to get it out of me, right? So, <laughs> but then but then you know what? After that, Mary Catherine, I kind of grew up and grew older and I don't even care anymore. That sounds ridiculous, right? But uh, you know what? I got so emotional. I found that in my career, um, I would just get way too emotional about those games. And, oh, uh, yeah. and I had to, I mean, I had to turn off my brain and care because it would mess me up for like th like two days. Monday, Tuesday would be really a bad, would not be good business days. <laughs> well, I, um, I married um, a guy who went to Duke mm. and they are, just their own cult and so via marriage um duke basketball has become sort of the um what reigns uh in our house got so. it yeah. well you don't get much higher in shashevsky and that whole i know scene. i know um you know and i want to let's touch on venture uh atlanta a little bit yeah. Atlanta, yeah. You're there. and um you know the tampa bay wave we're trying we're sending several companies up uh, to participate um and we've got some folks actually in the Tampa area that are very uh, much more plugged in this year than prior. You you were there uh, a few years in a row, I think, and talk, talk about your experience with Venture Atlanta. I was, it was a great experience. I highly recommend it. Um, I've been going 
um, enough years now where I've seen it evolve from just, you know, uh, heavily attended um, companies and investors from Atlanta to it now bleeding out more into Alabama, Tennessee, uh, South Carolina, Florida, um, Virginia even. Um, and so it's really started to sort of get a, a wider wingspan. Um, and, for those, and for those who don't know, you know, it's a, it's a big uh, uh, you know, startup pitch um, conference with just packed full of investors and right. other stakeholders. And they really uh, uh, get in front of just the whole community, right? These startups. That's, that's you know? right. That's right. And then, um, you know, it's great from networking. It's great for, you know, uh, fundraising. Um, but there's been some really impactful relationships that I've made through Venture Atlanta that um, that are really, uh, you know, um, important um, for me right now. That you stuck with you even yeah. since the point. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. And, uh, you know, we, so this is great. We, you and I met through a, through a mutual friend or two. Um, we've got all these great um, options. Like I said, my daughter went to Florida State University. That's how I learned about Thomas. I didn't even know okay. about Thomas. You know, I'm that, I'm that, uh, East, yeah, Eastern Georgia. View, right. you know? I didn't know about Western, about the Western side. And then I visited Thomasville and wow, it was like straight out of a, of a magazine. I know you hear that all the time, but it was like this, uh, ideal, like, like a movie set kind of, a of a town. And did you grow up movie step? I mean, did you grow up in the in the kind of on the outskirts, or how, what was it like growing up in Thomasville, Georgia? Um, I didn't know it at the time because it took me moving away to realize it. But um, yeah, very much, um, very rich in history and tradition. Um, yeah. Probably, you know, it's a it used to be the best kept secret, and now it's sort of been discovered yeah. and. Now it's an Instagram. Now it's an Instagram destination. Exactly. Literally, when I was there, literally, uh, when I drove through downtown, uh, like literally, continuous teenagers uh, posing for Instagram, like all yeah. over, all over, all around. It was literally an Instagram city. Town. We just, um, unfortunately, Hollywood has found Thomasville and mm -hmm. a movie called Tiger Rising with um, Dennis Quaid and Queen Latifah. Yeah. Um, was filmed there a few months ago. Yes, yes, and so, you might think I'm, you might think I'm lying about this, but I went into a little bar. I went into a little bar. Um, we were waiting for our table in that little restaurant that's famous for their cheese grits or something or like oh, that. Jonas. Yeah, and then you know the little bar next door. Right, uh, right. Yeah. So I, was in, I was in there uh, having a beer, waiting for our table, and literally uh, some of the crew from that movie were at the bar, and, and I didn't know that, but you know I was just being friendly, and, and they were telling me about this movie with Queen Latifah. And yeah. I was like, really? This was about two year and a half ago, something like that. Yeah, that sounds about right. That actually happened. It really happened. So so this is really great, and and so. We're going to get into Burr, your company. We're going to get into you know your incredible uh, career, which I just can't wait to share with people. Which includes uh, Tom Shoes um, and Spanx, and just mm -hmm. some incredible, um, uh, some incredible trajectory in your career. And then now your you know your own startup with with Burr, and then all that, all the success of that. I want to get into it. Um, you know, I like to talk about the rise and the struggle of entrepreneurs because I think that's the most helpful thing for people. Um, uh, to learn about, and also, you know, your career in pursuing acting and being a vocalist in, in New York and, and also in LA mm -hmm. and that whole thing, which is incredible and how you had to kind of part ways with your childhood dream mm -hmm. um, 
to to not to immediately be an entrepreneur, but you know, for for those for its set of reasons, and then right. the journey from there uh, that that led you to, uh, like I said, to um, Tom's and Spanks and your own and your own and your own company. So this is going to be a great this is going to be a great ride for people to to listen to and and hear this story. I think it's going to be a lot of young people who are going to um, who are going to like really get a lot out of this in terms of how oh, they can map their own future a little bit based off of what you went through. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, it's going to be good. Um, I do have an opening, um, an opening uh, question that I like to uh, throw up just to, uh, just to get the, the party started. And okay. it's usually, <laughs> it's usually um, uh, something that, that kind of reflected what you and I talked about a little bit in our, in our pre-call. Right. And, you know, and, and, and this whole idea of, you know, how do natural born entrepreneurs see risk? How do they see risk? And you're a natural born entrepreneur. We, we know that we're going to get into that. But what's the answer to that question? Um, we don't. <laughs> um, we, we, we know it's there um, and we try and be smart about it. But it's risk that doesn't keep us from going forward. Right. Um, it's risk that we um, are a little bit numb to, I guess. Yeah. Um, and and I think that's I think that's probably one of the qualifiers to be an entrepreneur um, is right. that you see that risk, but it doesn't stop you. Yeah. When we were talking before, you know, um, you know, you talked about you know, a certain bit of naivety and being naive a bit was a, was a benefit yeah. uh, well, right? And, and therefore you don't necessarily even assess risk the same way that a rational, logical person does. Right, right. That's true. And, and I think yeah. it's, um, like I said, I think that's one of the qualifiers of being an entrepreneur because you, um, you know, if, if we processed risk like everybody else, there would be no startups. Right there would be no entrepreneurs. So we, right. we process it differently. That combined with if they told you how hard it was gonna be five years in, then you, there would be also be a lot less entrepreneurs. Certain people might still would do it, but most entrepreneurs I know just can't believe how hard it ended up being three, you know, three plus years in, right? Just did nothing came easy for so, for so many of us. Everything, at least in my experience, mm -hmm everything that could have gone wrong has gone wrong. Yeah. And then things that I didn't even think could possibly go wrong went wrong. Right. Um, and I think that, um, you know, that's where being naive a little bit helps because if someone would tell, would have said to me how hard this was going to be. And if they actually said all the things that were going to happen to me, I wouldn't have believed them and I would have kept, kept going, you know? So again, right. that's just processing that, that risk differently. Um, but this is by far, and people said that to me, I just yeah. didn't, it just didn't penetrate down into the level that it needed to for well, me to react well, with it. Well, that gets back, to, that gets back to how natural born entrepreneur assesses risk and then not be the naivety, then being naive and, it gets back, it circles back to that point, right? Where mm -hmm. um, we we uh, just can't uh, accept it, almost, right? And, That's and right. Thank, thank goodness, right? Right, <laughs> right. They we can't accept it, and um, you know, I had um, uh, a co-founder that 
quite literally overnight um, disappeared. And, um, you know, there was this conversation, well, should we just shut the company down? Because so much of the company was her skill set mixed with mine. Yeah. And um, I, you know, I was like, what do you mean shut it down? Like, just because she left. I mean, you know, where everyone was sort of saying, what do you mean? What do we mean? Like, that seems like such a logical thing to, to consider. Yeah. Yeah. And I just was completely immune to it. Right. Right. Yeah. It just doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't calculate. And, right. um, you know, and, and kind of, uh, it kind of, you know, something else, you know, you talked about this risk kind of for the natural born entrepreneur kind of equals, uh, opportunity, right? Like yeah. somehow, somehow we, 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 we hear risk and we get excited. Yes. Yeah. And I, you know, I even said so many times when they were like, how are you moving on without, you know, your co-founder? And I deeply believe this. And I just would say, oh, it's made me a much better CEO. It's made me, I've learned so much more in such a short amount of time. Like I, I never focused on, you know, the negative impact. It was just about running with it and, and, you know, failing fast and moving forward. Um, You say natural born entrepreneur. I think I say a lot, um, you know, do you believe that you're wired to be an entrepreneur or can you learn to be one? Yeah. And uh, you and I've talked about that a little bit and, you know, I, I so fiercely believe that I was wired to be one. I've always known it. And so, um, you know, with that, um, you, you kind of lead your life and your career in a way that that's your North Star. And so the decisions you make, you know, when to join a company, when to leave a company, um, unfortunately, when you get fired by a company, all of those things are choices that I feel like I've made in order to move closer to that North Star. And now that I'm there, so to speak, um, you know, it's still um, it's still quite the Hercules effort every day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, this, you know, you know, we talked about, um, you know, being being, you know, kind of wired, uh, you know, versus uh, kind of learned. And, and we also talked a little bit about the types of entrepreneurs in a way, right? Where right. there are definitely, you know, folks out there that could, that can be entrepreneurs, even if they weren't natural born or wired, even if they don't have that base, some of that fundamental wiring, they don't, they aren't drawn to risk, for example, if they are perhaps doing something that's uh, uh, work, you know, kind of um, working for yourself, perhaps in the freelance space, uh, you know, um, you know, doing kind of, um, on the safer on the safer end of the spectrum of a startup, usually like even like for example in services services type projects, you know you can be cash flow positive within a few months. Typically, you know you're working off of a, of a skill set or you're selling a service that people already need and want. Not not to take anything away from that kind of entrepreneurship because it sure sounds it's, it's very uh, it's very smart. In fact, 
um, we find the success rate on that end is much higher. The, 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 the number of millionaires that get created um, on that services safer end of the spectrum. But they're definitely, those are entrepreneurs, they're business owners, they took, they took risk and they, uh, and they um, and, but they really wanted to be independent, work for themselves. So there's a whole, um, but they can still be fairly conservative if you, you know, speak to them, right? They're, they're not like always risking it all, right? Versus right. kind of that other in the spectrum, those swing for the fences kind of entrepreneurs, right? Right, that, right. That, 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 you know, um, we have to laugh at ourselves, right? Because we're like, how did I get myself into this, right? Like, this, you're always in deep waters. You're always, uh, you know, looking, you're needing lucky breaks just to actually pull it off. Frankly, there is no, there's no way to make that this, the over the fence happen. The other in the spectrum, you can kind of experience and will your way to success in a way. But man, when you're swinging for fences, there's a, there's a lot of luck in there. And there's a lot of, uh, a lot of almost kind of psychological challenges, right? It's warfare. Yeah. <laughs> it really can be. Yeah. Um, it's it's just about high risk, high reward. Yeah, that's it. You know, and and the other side of that is failure. There's no in between. And I think that's yeah. where um you know as an entrepreneur you have to be okay with that. Um and I've my whole life I've done for whatever reason, um well, I know the reason, it's just how I'm wired, but um, it was sort of my misfortune to be wired this way because I've always done things big. I feel so, you I know? feel so kindred with you. Yeah. Misfortune. It, <laughs> it's a mis- it entrepreneur, is. Entrepreneurial misfortune. It is. Like I, I say to people, if you can be happy doing anything else, do it. If yeah. you think you can be happy, doing anything else besides starting your own company, do it. Right. Um, and if you are sort of the unlucky ones that the answer is no, then yeah. you start your company. That's right. And, and so that, that kind of gets to the over romanticism of startups and the over romanticism of entrepreneurship and success bias. And what you're basically getting at is that, especially if you're a swing for the fences entrepreneur, you know, big risk and, 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 there aren't guarantee revenues and guarantees like it's not easy to get, you know, relatively easy to get income and sales and revenue like on that in the spectrum. And it takes a lot of money and a lot of time and those kinds of things um, that, uh, you know, then it's, it's interesting that I don't think we even though we're sitting here kind of bemoaning it a little bit, I don't think we have a we have we wouldn't want it any other way. Like we don't have a choice in our minds. It's just how again back to your wiring. So it's but it but it but it but we know on the inside just how um, lonely and difficult it is and how we wouldn't wish it upon anybody. But right. it, but on the outside everybody wants to be that person. It's so yeah. ironic, isn't it? It is. It is. And mm-hmm. you know, I have a lot of friends that think they wish they had, you know, my, my, um, professional life. Magazines, travel, interviews, you know, all the, you know, glamorous stuff. And, you know, it's so much to get into that I just kind of just reroute the conversation because, (laughs) you know, you don't, but I also don't have the energy to tell you why you don't live in it. It's almost like that person is going to, they don't, if they're asking you, then they're probably not right. Like that, 
this kind of person kind of finds their way into the deep waters on their own in a way, right? Right, right. You're exactly right. <laughs> and that, and, and that I was I feel like we're I'm, giving such depressing answers. <laughs> this is great. I love that. I really love this. And, I, and when I speak with my class, you know, I bring a guest speaker every week to the entrepreneurship class at USF. And, and I say, you know, uh, come in and tell your story, the ups and downs, especially the downs and the struggles, because I really want to disavow a lot of these students from the, some of the um, success bias and romanticism, right? That it, it is uh, it's very, very uh, challenges everything you have, and your outs and your outward success isn't is it not what you go to bed with at night. You wake up with in the morning, right? You, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't even think like you just said the magazines and the interviews and the travel. Yeah. Yeah. That like you almost just reminded me that that even happened. You know, like <laughs> it's, it's not even on my radar, and yeah. you know, um, yeah. It, it, yeah, you, you certainly wake up with the, the uphill battle every day. And it's so, so it's the other thing I wanted to remember to say when you said earlier, I want to switch gears a little bit, but before we do, um, it's kind of, I want to put a, put a happy bow in it. Like if, if it's you, it's you and it has to be you and you've got to be true to you. Like you know it if, it, if you know it, right? You know, so, so it's, not, it's not even something that we could, it's not something that you can talk that person even out of. You know, we joke about it if we knew then, we knew now. But in the end, we that you have to pursue who you are and what's inside of you, right? And and that and it's, it ends up. So it's not like fundamentally, it's not a choice. You would you, for example, would be you ultimately are going to be miserable, <laughs> miserable either way. If you're going to go, you play small ball. Someone who wants to play in the big game was miserable if they're stuck in small ball, right? So you might as well just go be playing the the large ball and take all the struggles and frustration with it because at least you're playing the game that you felt like you were born and born and wired to play. That's right. And for me, um, there was never a question. There just was never a question. And right. I lived my life that way. Um, you know, as a little girl, I did all the arts and crafts and sold them to my neighbors and my mom's tennis team. Like I just, you know, I was always in some kind of business and um you know i'm not saying that that you can't be a successful entrepreneur um if it's sort of a learned um position but for me it was there was never a question right and we're gonna and that's we're gonna get we're gonna get to that because that's where we're gonna come back and get into your story before we go one other thing i want to pick up on you mentioned it earlier and also in our pre-call i've got this thing i say in my book that um i just said it by the way Thank you. Okay. Yes. The short short chapter called uh, "Failure is Overrated," and I love what you said earlier. You alluded to it. You also alluded to what we called, we talked prior. Um, you know, fa failure has got a certain you know cachet right now. Being you know, celebrate failure, embrace failure, fail forward, and and all that's super true, right? But one thing we know is that people who actually are in this fight know that failure is not an option, and that you never you never you can't. Uh, and this is something that people don't talk enough about. I think. Is that you, it, it's um, it's a drive preventing failure, fear of failure. I've always found was a massive motivator, right? Like like uh, you know not not letting us. And of course, you still end up perhaps failing, using that word strongly. But it's not to be. Uh, it's people that are driven to success, com are completely afraid of it. And I think that's a good, healthy thing in my yeah. mind. Now, when you have the, if the failure happens to you. It's important to be honest and talk and, and learn from it and so forth, but that's after the fact. Right. right. 
That's after you've risen back up from the ashes. Yes, right. Then you, then you talk about it. But yet, yeah, I, I say that all the time. Failure is not an option. And when I think about all the sacrifice and all the literally blood, sweat, and tears, um, you know, it even further compounds that it's just not an option. Yeah. And so many people, here's the other thing I was saying, this is heavy again. So many people are counting on you. Don't, you know, oh, <laughs> great. Let me throw something else on your back. But, uh, you know, yeah. but, you know, your employees, your, your, your investors and your, your family, like it, it's the kind of pressure, honestly, people like you were kind of born for. It doesn't overly worry us if we, we handle it. It's what we're made. Our shoulders are strong. I mean, it's tough, but, but frankly, failure is just not an option. And, mm -hmm. and um, and I, I get a little, I get a little cringy in the entrepreneurship circles when it gets talked about so much and in, in glam. I'm like, ah, you know, like, yes, after the fact, but man, it, it just the ones that really that make it don't just don't let it in. They don't let it in. No, and you know, I I can identify failures of mine within the bird journey, mm -hmm. but by God, it's not gonna, you know, make, make me shut down. No, right. I love it. I love it. Thank you for bringing that up because yeah. it's just these topics that um, I love to bring up. Okay, before we go there, I want to just touch base on my uh, on our sponsor here and um, Executive Launch, executlaunch.com. So this is a team of uh, folks that help um, executives and companies, uh, Mary Catherine, okay. uh, plan their escape. And uh, they've got the experience and the connections and the know-how, you know, barring the non-compete and other, you know, contractual situations. Um, become a startup founder, which, by the way, is not has is uh, is uh, completely uh, uh, opposite of being an executive. You you know you go from a high resource you go from a high resource environment to a, 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 a near zero resource environment, and understanding things like minimum viable product and product market fit and just uh, lean startup and all these things that most executives uh, would never have any way of knowing that us in the startup game have you know learned. So that's what Executive Launch does. And it takes, um, you know, a good amount of runway and a good plan, sure. a good runway and a good plan, but, uh, but it, it can be done. If you can pull it off, you're, you've got the best of both worlds. You come out with, um, with the experience and the connections that, no, that an average startup founder doesn't have. Yeah. And that's, I think we're getting, getting your story. This is kind of your life in a way. So yeah. um, fitting, fitting sponsor for this episode. Yeah. Agreed, right? Agreed. Yeah, I like it. Um, okay, so let's let's do this. I, I, okay, so you, I want to pick it up. You, you had this track record. You were you were a twin, right? And, yeah. Uh, so you've never you've never quote been alone as a child, but as soon as you were of, the, of age to leave home, you managed to everywhere you, to go everywhere you could go where you didn't know anybody, where you were literally alone. Like so, you went to college into a state of Texas at SMU that you didn't know anyone. And then after that, we're gonna get into you went to LA, you didn't know anyone, you went to New York. So, um, isn't that strange? Yeah, <laughs> I've never thought about it like that before, actually. <laughs> like um, you went, you were in this really fam. Not to, I would imagine probably this tight knit, you know, family. Very, um, very close family. And and bro and twin, and then boom, you're gone, and everybody's worried. <laughs> yeah, my poor dad. I mean, gosh. Um, <laughs> You know, it was necessary, but it was very difficult. When I left for college, it was the first time really being separated from my brother, um, certainly being separated from, you know, my, my mom and dad. 
and this small bubble of Thomasville that I was so protected and allowed to be, you know, freely roam and and do, you know, in this in this protection of this little town. And when I went to Texas uh, to SMU, um, the first six months was um, it felt like I was grieving a death. I was so I was so deeply homesick, and and I was grieving because I knew I was present enough at that age to know that I was grieving a life that I would never have again, and so the kind of breaking away in order to go and swing for the fences. I was aware that's what I was doing, um, but it wasn't without significant pain and heartbreak. Um, and, you know, my family is so close and um, I was fortunate enough to be able to have parents who could afford to fly me, you know, back and forth and my brother out to visit me. My parents would come out, um, but it was still a, the most significant pain I've ever had in my life. Homesick, major, major homesick. Um, and also just maybe, maybe a, a bit lost homesick and also just like, you know, but you kind of do, but, but I remember you, you were training, a, uh, to be an actor and a vocalist since you were a child. So yeah. did you study that at SMU, um, to try to continue that, your, your, your dream? Well, the deal was from my parents that, I would go to college for a year at a Southern school where I could have sort of the Southern college experience that they both, you know, found so much joy, um, joy in. And right. that if I didn't like it, then I could transfer to NYU. Got it. And um, forego that college experience that they wanted for me. And when I got to Texas and I got through that first six months, um, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the whole experience. And um, I joined a sorority and, and led a pretty traditional um, you know, college life. And um, when my friends took, um, in their uh, junior year, they took a semester abroad. I was able to negotiate with my parents to let LA be my semester abroad. So um, I went to LA and worked um, as an actor um, for that semester and then um, went back and doubled up on my classes so I could finish on time with my, with my class. Wow. And, and so you, and you had been in, you'd been to acting school, you'd been doing a lot of training, like you said, with vocalists as well. Yeah, I was, um, um, I have been, um, I've had the good fortune of training with some of the most well-known coaches and mentors in the business. Um, right. And I even did a immersion program at Northwestern University um, and uh, definitely put in my, my hours of um, the 10,000 hours of, of perfecting that, that craft. And, and so, and, and I and now when you were you graduated SMU, did, did you move to LA? Is that right? Mm -hmm. okay. Moved to moved LA, LA after SMU. Uh, moved there um, and was there for five years, yep. and then moved to New York. And you were doing modeling, acting, 
different just different things right? anything within the trade that yep. you know i could um you know help make a living um but it's a lot of feast and famine you know um yeah. out there it's sort of ditch to ditch you work and you get a gig and you make a whole lot of money really fast and then yeah. you know it's sort of um <laughs> and then it's sort of desert and then you go then you're like then it's then macaroni you, and cheese and yeah. then you go broke and then you hopefully get another gig and make a whole yeah. lot of money really fast and then you know try and make it last so that's yeah. really where i learned about runways um was in in between gigs in LA, you know, what kind of runway did I have until I, um, you know, was homeless basically. Yeah. 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 <laughs> more homeless, more close to homeless than your parents ever knew. Ever. Yes. No, there's just some things that you just, you just don't. Right. I just keep, keep to myself. Right. And so, um, you were telling me when we talked before that that just kind of started running its course. Um, and you had this serendipitous, um, meet up with someone that um, proposed a different route. It seemed like the timing was good because again, you seem like things were kind of had run this course for you there. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm a, um, I'm a person of faith. And so I really believe that it was just sort of a, um, that the timing was so serendipitous. The person um, was such a well-known designer um, and, you know, had a lot of star power to him, which made me feel like I was, um, could still sort of enjoy the glamour of, of, you know, that world, but have, you know, a steady job. And yeah. so um, that really is, I knew enough to know that I either needed to be grateful for this fork in my path, or I needed to be committed to living a pretty lonely life um, and really just married to my yeah. my trade, my you know my yeah. hopes of a career um, in that in that space. And so um, I realized that I'm just much too fun to be yeah. a lonely person. Right, and by the way, there's a, there's a very good friend of mine and a very, very prominent uh, businessman in Tampa Bay here who's a, one of the most successful restaurant owners in the city. Um, and he uh, did some, he went to New York to be an actor as a young man, but uh, he, he found that, first of all, he loved food and, and he was of course working as a waiter and stuff, but yeah. he was serious about being an actor. He did some serious, very serious stuff. Um, but he, at the end, when he was starting to get more less successful starting to happen, it hit him that he would be this traveling, lonely traveling person, you know, going from a, a movie shoot to a bed and as glamorous as that sounds, he, he realized like, wait a minute, I'm a, I'm a family food restaurant person. Right. And he just shut it down and he talked the restaurant owner where he was serving, he'd been for a while to fly down to Tampa with him where he was from and look at some restaurant concepts. Could we, maybe he could open a restaurant down there and the rest was history and he became like a restaurant mogul here in Tampa yeah. Bay. But, but he was literally, he realized how kind of sad and lonely the, his acting career, he was getting ready, he, 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 he was able to see that. And he just- I was he, too. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, um, and so I decided to, to take the, mm -hmm. the fork in the road. But every, um, 
every skill set that I had crafted, um, I use in my business life. You know, every board meeting is basically, you know, your center stage. Um, and every presentation to a company is sort of your center stage. And so you, um, you know, you just, you carry yeah. that with you and, and try and have no regrets. But um, that was the second most painful time of my life with just the grieving of, that. you can't ride two horses at the same time. But I, hey, but it wasn't. It wasn't. But I, I, my sympathy only goes so far because I happen to know you flew out to New, immediately flew out to New York and helped Beyonce with her. Uh, with <laughs> I did. Okay, so did. my sympathy only goes so far because that was like your first gig, one of your first gigs in your new, you know, marketing sales career, right? Yes, yes, yes. That 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 is all true. Right. Yes. So you flew. Okay. So they put you out uh, to New York to manage this launch uh, of new brand and product. And so now you go from the LA life to the New York life. Wow. I mean, that's that's a big jolt. Well, you're making me sound so much cooler than I am. <laughs> that's what I do for my guests. That's what I do, especially after I drag them through the mud of all the negative stuff that I drag them through. I <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. They, yeah. we, we needed some bright spots. Okay. Right. Sure. Yes, sure. but yeah, um, but no, New York, really quick. Like, uh, what was that like for uh, probably mid twenties, late twenties? I don't know. What, how old were you? Um, I moved um, out there when I was um, twenty six, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, I didn't love New York. Um, I loved New York as an artist. I did not love yeah. New York as a resident. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, I got to a point where. I think if I had lived in New York first and LA second, I would have, yeah. you know, had different feelings. But um, I just went from living in a very free, open life in yeah. the sense of I had a car in a yard and a neighborhood. Warm weather, uh, yeah. Blue skies. Yeah, to a very um, concrete jungle. And yeah. um, it wasn't warm and fuzzy feeling. Um, yeah. But I met my husband out there, and that was lovely. And then um, Banks recruited me to Atlanta, yeah. and it was right during the financial meltdown. And he was a trader on Wall Street, and so that was a very depressing place to be. And yeah. so he, um, we both jumped, and um, I landed at Spanks, and he went to Georgia Tech for his MBA, and we kind of tried to ride out the storm. Now, this is where I get a little confused because where does Tom's Shoes fit into this? Tom's Shoes is sort of a little bit fluid through all of it. Um, okay. Let's talk about Blake, that. Blake and I went to college together. Um, founder, founder, yep. uh, inventor, Blake, creator of Tom's. Yep. Blake McCoskey. Mm -hmm. And he, um, I think, is five years older than me, but he just hung around SMU a little longer. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so when I moved to LA, he um, was out there and um, we all just sort of reconnected with a couple of other college friends. And um, at the time he was working on a, a virtual poker, blackjack, I don't know, some kind of, just one of his many ideas. And he actually called me from South America and said, I have, um, have this idea and it was Tom's. And um, I had, um, I helped him with, um, I think I was a 
ideation partner as well as you know truly trying to help get sales yeah. um and then i just did that as a friend because i had this other job that you know i didn't want to i didn't want to risk and give up um and then when i moved to new york um it made sense for me to work for for tom and some tom's in some capacity because there was no east coast right. um, representation and okay. so um when i finished with the whole fashion um group that i that transferred me out to new york um that's when i started with tom's full time and um right. that was because i was at literally ground zero with him yeah i had a a real life teaching moment every day on how to start your own company and so i really credit so much to him and the team that he built um that i just learned from every single second and then when spanx recruited me I was one of the first 30 employees. So they still had that obviously it wasn't ground zero. She had just been on Oprah, but yeah. it was still a very entrepreneurial feel. Yeah. Um because there was still so much to build. And um and that was that was two really big breaks in my life. Yeah, at this point, at this point you're like uh uh you're on a heck you're on a hell of a roll, right? Like those are two of the biggest brands. Yeah. And, it ultimately became in, in, in the world. Uh, you know, you were right there, ground zero, with a front row seat. Uh, I'm, all right, so now we're getting now we're getting to Spanx. So 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 Sarah Blakely, um, as you know, as we know, we talked. She's from the Tampa Clearwater area. She she uh, right. grew up down here, and um, and she went to Florida State and so forth. It's a lot of Florida roots, and then moved to Atlanta with in her job um, with Danka office. Uh, products, which was a Tampa-based company, but she yep. was, a, I think, a sales trainer. Like you, she was very, uh, very good at, at sales, mm -hmm. and um, so much so that she was training their uh, their team. And, and she was her, selling fax machines. Yes, that's right. But she ultimately became a trainer of the sales team, right? And I think that's you know, and she's in Atlanta, uh, and and so, like you said, you got inside that first thirty. Um, and you were, I was asking you before, like, what was the culture like? And you were like, it was awesome. You were telling me like that culture was awesome. It was just like a band of sisters. I, you didn't use that word. That was just my, I just put that word out there. But you said it was just like the coolest, one of the coolest experiences of your life in those early days. In terms of just how it much. Was. It was. Yeah, and sisterhood, the sisterhood of it, the culture, right? It, and, that was all just first class, A plus. They did a really good job of hiring to culture. And so um, there was so many of us were so similar in our personalities and in our um, just, just we all adhered to the same culture. And so we just were a really good fit. And, um, you know, we were all either single or newly married and we all sort of just grew up together um and by the time that whole little sisterhood left you know we all had children and um and just you know became 30 something year olds with with a surprisingly real career 
Yeah, right. And then you had like the direct to consumer piece of the business, which included QV QVC, right? Uh, um, yes. Right. And and uh, and, yep. and so another probably other a lot of good peripheral sales. Did did you have any retail under your under your hat or was there I much did. retail at the time? Okay. Yep, um, I did. I actually um, I started off with the direct to consumer channel, mm -hmm. which was fun because and this really makes me. I'm old enough now where I'm starting to say this makes me feel old, which I can't even <laughs> believe it. But, um, when I started there in 2008, the whole direct to consumer um, experience was just starting to get lit on fire. Right. And, um, and so there was so much unknown about direct to consumer. There was so much unknown about the omni-channel way of shopping. And so it was, the most fun time to be in direct consumer. Now direct consumer is, you know, now it's it, Amazon. Now it's Amazon, <laughs> but it's also, you know, right. my kids are never going to know what it means to just sort of take a lazy Saturday and walking through the shops in a mall. You know, there's just everything is is going, you know, from bricks to clicks. Um, but being able to be a part of the direct to consumer, you know pioneer um, was an incredible, unique experience that I think um, only someone my age being in that at that time um, experienced. Yeah. But by the time um, I left, I was over all sales channels. So department stores, um, department stores, um, um, sales reps, direct consumer, mom and pops, sales chains. Um, so yeah. So the team, okay. The so home. so you you had a lot of FaceTime with Sarah. You mean it sounds like at some point you reported yep. directly to her at least during some early on during periods, right? She um she is the face, obviously, of yeah. of um Spanx. And so she would go on air for QVC. And yeah. um and so that's really the last vertical she had real yeah. hands on um, you know work with and so um it was a president you said there was like a, a president in there or see those uh there was a ceo person that yeah. kind of, okay mm -hmm. but when it was 30 when it was 30 folks when you first came in was there already kind of a ceo yes. that kind of ran things okay got it yeah. okay mm -hmm. um yeah, but you must just okay it just must be kind of cool to look back and just see that now there yeah. was that right yeah it's neat, right and, and we had sure our first we had our first children together. And so, um, you know, we were these first time, you know, pregnant mothers, you know, roaming the halls of QVC together and- Just killing it, killing the game yeah. out there basically too, right? Just, you know, both needing French fries, um, <laughs> you know, around the clock. But French yeah. fries with no penalty at that age. <laughs> that's right, that's right, that's right. Um, so, okay, so what, what, what People are, you know, really curious about, you know, um, what that was like and, and how, how great, how entrepreneurial was. One other thing, like you, you, in the early days, you said it was just a, a just a tight knit entrepreneurial culture, right? Right. And, yes. and, and one of the things we're going to we're going to get into now a little bit is how um, cultures can abruptly change, especially when new and uh, especially a success, the more, you know, a success climbs and, you know, with success comes uh, some real risks to the company. Right. And so. Right. Especially with a new investor or investors, a new board, or 
a new management team or new consultants. And these are the kind of things that often come into play when success is happening. And this happened right. at Spanx. Yes, it did. Um, you know, we went from being an entrepreneurial culture where um, I was pitching my own ideas. I was given the green light to go pursue them. There was a lot of ownership that I feel like we all felt we had. And um, I felt the responsibility to raise my hand and wave the flag and say, yeah. you know, I call it my Jerry Maguire moment, um, yeah. where I said, you know, this is, this is wrong and this is wrong and this is how it should be in my opinion. And I knew I'd either get fired for it or I'd, you know, maybe be heard and be able to do my part to create change. Um, and I learned a lot of lessons in that. And, you know, I didn't want to quit because I've never quit anything in my life. And, you know, if I got fired, I thought, well, at least I'll get severance. And if I'm heard, then I can help affect change. And unfortunately for me, I was fired. <laughs> um, but it was- Jerry Maguire all day long. You're so, you're the female it, Jerry Maguire. It By the way, there's another, there's another dynamic too. You said a lot of people reported to you and you had a big piece of the business, right? So yeah. you, had a team, you had a team, right? So there's also yeah. that, that people don't realize that you, you kind of, you, you um, kind of need to stand up for not just you, you were standing up for some other people. Probably. The team, yeah. And, by the way, and probably I'm gonna go on another level, probably the customer too. I would yeah. imagine you also, like you were you were like trying to represent a lot of stakeholders. Absolutely, and I, I, A, it's not my personality, but I just would have eaten me alive if it didn't, you know, have my say. And, um, you know, I think if we went back and looked at history, I think a lot of people would have done things differently. Um, but had that not happened, um, I would have been, the window to jump to start my own company would have been in my blind spot. And so um, I'm grateful it happened. It allowed me to see without blinders on. And when you're in that world at Spanx, you, you kind of calibrate your brain to think that that is all there is. And yeah. when those blinders come off, you see so much more opportunity. And for me, I was able to see that window to jump and start my own company. So what's fun, my, my favorite part about this, this particular interview um, is this, this whole, you know, this kind of abrupt quit to start or fire to start, however you want to say it. Someone's been telling me that I, you know, my book quit to start could be fired to start this. Because ultimately when you quit to start a lot of times in this, in this frustration point where I've been before, it, I'm either going to quit or I'm going to be fired. I am like not happy. And, right. I, and it's just not, and, right. I don't, and I don't fake it well. Like I me either. It so long, right? And so it's my, there are two and dozen, there are two of the same dozen. And um, so this, okay, so really what, what this entrepreneurial mindset that you have, which we covered earlier, you know, it, these are things that just don't square for the entrepreneurial mindset person that's middle right. to upper, middle to upper level of a company. 
um, I call it my book, The Entrepreneurial Ceiling. Like you just be, you become, you get into this paradoxical situation um, where the, the, the company is now like con- being controlled by non-market factors, by political factors or whatever. And it just makes you sick to your stomach. You're physically ill. Yeah. And and you and you've got to um, make your break. Now, what's interesting is you, it, it, the entrepreneurial mindset person isn't necessarily thinking another job. And I know this. I'm already without even talking before. I know this is going to be the answer. Like you weren't thinking, I'm, I'll go work somewhere else. You were thinking it's here or nowhere. It's here or it's my own thing. Like there is, there's a zero one. Like there was no alternative. I'm guessing on that. Right. You're exactly right. Yeah. You're so accurate. Yeah, you, because I, I, I know your mindset. So when you when you took your major stand and did your Jerry Maguire, it wasn't about another job for working for somebody else. This was just like you were taking a stand on no. principle and so forth. And it was, and you had no idea what was on the other side of that. No idea, no idea. It was an absolute jump out of the airplane, um, <laughs> and hope you land safely. Um, I don't talk too much about you know, the Jerry Maguire moment, um, because my experience at Spanx was so wonderful. And Sarah is such a great person. Um, but in that moment, to your point, I had no idea what was on the other side. Yeah. On the yeah. other side of that email, I had no idea what was on the other side of it. You but, were just taking a stand on your own your own principle of, of where you were and, and let the chips fall where they may. That was your mindset. That was that was my only plan. Now I had small children. My husband, um, you know, was um, my husband successful, but my salary still mattered, you know. Yeah. And so yeah. I, um, but that's the that's sort of the danger of of this kind of entrepreneurial mind is that you blow things up not knowing where the chips are going to fall and not knowing what's on the other side. And, you know, Sarah has even said um, she was single. She had no children. She didn't have a boyfriend, nothing. And she took the leap. Like, would she do it again, having children and having, you know, responsibilities? There's a question mark. Um, But I don't know. Different. Yeah. It's very different, right? Yeah. And, and and we shared on this. Like, you know, I, I was did this myself with a, you know, stay home mom and a new baby, and I've just done it a few. And it was there's just, but for me, it was like this principal thing. I just, yeah. I just couldn't live. I just couldn't. I just couldn't. Right. So mm-hmm. and, then, and 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 again, I talk about this in my book, this mindset, and just the struggle of this, right? Being in a company, and if the company culture is great, and if they're facilitating that entrepreneurial mindset, then you can be there. But if, if not, when it starts getting weird like that, you just can't be there. It just, it just, mm, you just can't. It, you, you want to, you want to just be a job person, but you can't. It's just not allowed in your mind. Mm. Yeah. You know, right? if there was ever a company to be a journeyman with, it would be that. But I just, yeah, I just couldn't. <laughs> so, so okay, so you, you, you departed. Okay. Did you take a breather? Did you take a little time and collect yourself? Um, I know I had to when I had my Jerry Maguire moment. Yes, because I was so um, yeah emotionally spent. Yeah, and I had I like know. this emotional hangover for a long time. And even after I started my own company, I I still would refer to Spanx as we. Um, it was just such a big part of my identity, and 
it was very hard for me um, and sad and um, yeah. all those feelings. Break, like a breakup, right? Like For sure, else. for sure. Yeah. And yeah. so, no, I needed to reset so um, mm -hmm. I could move forward. Um, so where, uh, when did you, do you remember a moment, you know, X number of months later or years, you know, X, very few years later when you just felt like, uh, like a new surgence of, of confidence or power, like, like, you know, like that, it's kind of like that, that full separation, like, okay, wait a minute. Um, I can, I can create something myself. Like, do you remember when this hit you at all um, come to mind? immediately i was like this okay. is not um i'm sad i'm mad um mm -hmm. but this is not you know this isn't defining me right right and they're really stupid to have let me go <laughs> right <laughs> right that's the way by the way that's how a title fight that's how a, uh you know a fighter boxer sports per, a sports athlete has to think they got to maintain they, they, they need to, um, they, self-talk is so important, right? Self-talk is critical. And, um, and to remind yourself of who you are, why you did what you do, what you stand for, and your own confidence in yourself and your vision for what you can do to the, for the world, right? Um, it's pretty great that it came pretty quickly for you. Well, because um, in my Jerry Maguire memo, I outlined what was broken and what yeah. needed to be fixed. And what mm -hmm. I realized is the only way that 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 set of rules can exist is if I go do it myself. And so the first thing I did was made sure that every employee at, at, uh, at Burr has equity in the company. Yeah. Um, I also um, I also took out all vacation policy. Um, I expect you to do your job and I expect you to perform. And if I don't want you to miss a trip of a lifetime just because you're 11 days or whatever is up. Yeah. Um, so I feel like I've created a more relaxed working yeah. environment, um, which has just made everybody want to be together and want to work. And, yeah. um, you know, Giving them ownership is empowering. Yeah. So. And, and time and sounds like flexibility too. Time, um, making flexibility and time, time flexibility into being an employee at birth. Yeah, because I don't believe in a work-life balance. I yeah. just don't, it, it cannot, <laughs> it just doesn't exist. Right. But I do believe in. And flexibility. You know, yeah. I do believe in being able to allow your work and your life to coexist together. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. So let's talk about Burr because yeah. this, this this is what I'm talking about. So so it's a, it, I did my homework, of course, and uh, my first one of my first questions would be like, what was the origin story of this? Because it's fascinating. This idea of cloth, the, a fabric that's cool to the touch. I was you know telling my wife about that, and she needs to, she's like. She's a, she's like, why am I always hot? And I know, I know your story on this. She's like, everything. I'm like, you've got to check out Burr. This, 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 um, this, this idea of cloth being cool to the touch. And did you, did you stumble? Did you, did the idea come first, or did you find the the fabric first, or 
Um, fabric first. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I knew um, I knew I wanted to be in the cooling space. Yeah. Um, I didn't know how because by being a student in that textile technology market, I had learned that all of these cooling technologies are smoke and mirrors. Yeah. But the voice of the customer is clearly asking for it because these new brands continue to be born claiming cooling. Yeah. And so the the girl that I started the company with had been at Spanx um, for a really long time and she ran product development. And so um, she was part of the departure um, yeah. when I left. Um, right. And we get together. Yep. Yep. And so I told her what I was wanting to do and she happened to have had some fabric because she had been pitching Spanx to do a cooling shapewear. Yeah. And that wasn't a strategy that they wanted to do because they felt like if we had one program that was cooling, it would signal that all the other programs are hot and <laughs> didn't want to cannibalize that business. Interesting, right? So, um, <laughs> long story short, the, the fabric stuff, that she had. Right. Long story short, the fabric that she had was in the right direction. It just wasn't it. And so um, we hired a PhD in polymer sciences and a textile engineer out of Taiwan. And they all together, we ideated and we created this technology that we now call um, Burr's triple chill effect. And we have it patented and we have uh, four other patents that we've developed around the the initial, you know, mother technology. Um, but because of all of the smoke and mirrors that's in the market, yeah. your Cool Core, your Cool Max, your thirty-seven-five, Dry Fit, Climate Chill. I've never, I've never, never felt felt those work, and they, they've never, I've never, never uh, been a fan, honestly. Well, yeah, well. Um, I'm just cotton. I end, up, I end up back in cotton all the time. I yeah. always come back to cotton because it just, it's, it's, it's mm, well, never comfortable in that stuff. Well, all of those technologies are 100% polyester. Yeah. And just a, just a quick textile, um, you know, yeah, crash course. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do this. I want to hear this. <laughs> polyester is a very hot, spongy, cheap fabric. Yes. Um, and staticky, and staticky for at least for men, right? I don't know about. But what Kevin, me. what Kevin Blank did when he started Under Armour is he marketed the performance of polyester and its ability to wick away sweat. So when that introduced the market, the whole athletic space was basically recalibrated to think: if it's not polyester, it's not going to keep me dry. Um, so it's a marketing message of cooling, but the performance of the fabric is just moisture wicking. This drives me crazy. I'm just, yeah. You're talking to someone who's just never been a fan of it. All my, like I've got all kinds of, all the, 
buddies, they, you know, they talk, I see it everywhere, but every yeah. time I've tried, and this is, I'm just speaking the truth on this, I, yeah. I never, I don't own a piece of it. I can't, I just go, give me back to cotton. I've tried yeah. it, it makes me feel itchy, um, hot, uh, staticky. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And, and the problem with cotton, though, is that it um, retains the moisture. So yeah, yeah, for sure. So sure. it stays wet longer. Absolutely. Um, so Not I great. felt like if I could introduce into the market a technology that was a game changer, that truly felt cool to the touch, felt cool in your skin, that um, had the same performance of moisture wicking or moisture management that the competitors have, and also had a rapid drying uh, technique, then I could move into this space to be a category king and and um that's my mission and yeah. so um you engineered we, this we are we are on the mission you engineered um, this stuff right i mean you guys engineered this from the ground up it sounds like we did we did we we said you know this is an idea of what we want it to a direction we want it to go in but this isn't it and yeah. how how do we come up with the the true patentable technology. Yeah. Um, and then my go-to-market strategy, um, I didn't hire Salesforce. I hired um, scientists. And we spent the first 18 months and over a million dollars in testing and verifying that our technology truly worked. Yeah. And then we spent the money on comparing our polyester and our nylon to all of our competitors. And when we had that data, then that's when I felt like I could hire a best in class sales team to go out and, and, um, and take it to market. Wow. That's amazing. So, you did, so, so they went out armed with the data and do, so and correct me if I'm wrong, but your, your technology uh, is, is kind of, to be embedded in other brands, like, uh, right? I hate we're, we're an ingredient brand. I'm sorry? We're an ingredient brand. An ingredient brand, right? We're and, like Gore-Tex. Uh, I was gonna say Gore-Tex, I didn't wanna insult you, but yeah, like I see, you know, Gore-Tex is kind of a, they, they pulled, they kind of they kind of uh, mastered the thing, right? Yeah. Some Louis Nines, right? Um, we're the Intel inside. And so, <laughs> right. um, um, we have some really great customers um, we've landed our first athletic brand, um, Adidas, Adidas, and Reebok. Adidas, yes. um, and nice. so, um, like but then we have Southern Tide. Um, Southern Tide is um, a Southern Vineyard Vines. Um, and mm -hmm. they have some incredible, great guys' polos you should try. I'm in. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm in 100%. Do you feel like you're going to ultimately be more women or men when this, you know? I wanted to be women. That's why yeah. I started that it. That was your start. Yeah. Because yeah. I am. I'm a women person. run hot. They're like, that's my wife. She's always like, I'm hot. I'm hot. I'm hot. Well, even when I'm, I'm actually a cold natured person. Yeah. But when I'm maneuvering between carpool, a business lunch, and then a customer presentation. Yeah. I'm just moving at such a a high yeah. performance that I need 
to have, you know, performance, performance fabric. Performance. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah. unfortunately, the the women's industry, um, now we are launching with Tory Burch. Um, so hopefully the trend will, will swing. But um, women haven't, aren't used to hearing about performance technology in their garments like men are. Right. And so the men- I think men they're ready for it. I think it's, I could totally, like I said, my wife, I think she would just go for it immediately. Yeah, I, I hope so. Um, you know, we're, we're inching our way into more of a woman's purse by uh, bedding. Um, we have bedding with um, therapeutic at Bed Bath & Beyond mm. that are- Do you say bedding like sheets? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, wait a minute, now you're speaking my language because, yeah. you know, I end up trying to get to another side of the bed to get to the cooler side of the bed and the, I'm always like, you know when you flip your pillow over to the cooler side? <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, yeah. Our, our yeah. sheets feel like that. The, yeah. I, I like to say they feel like the cool side of your pillow. Are you kidding me? Yeah, they're great. They're great. Where do, uh, where do, I, where do I get this stuff, honestly? I mean, this, <laughs> this um, is not a plug. This is like I want to know. Bed, Bath & Beyond. Okay. Yeah. So online? So yeah, we're, can, we're can starting I, to move. What, what should I serve? Yeah. Like if, what should I search? Obviously, Burr is kind of the intel inside, so that's probably not my keyword, right? But um, what would um, I, I think it would be Fit Burr. Oh, okay, really? Okay, good, 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 yeah. good. Yeah. Um, Bed Bath and Beyond. Wow, you can put this. I mean, I'm telling you, you got me excited on the sheets thing because, wow, um, that might that could be that could be the hundred million dollars right there, just cooling sheets. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Um, Talk about a problem that all of us have, especially right. over you know over a certain age. <laughs> I don't know what it is I'm about really, that. I'm really, I'm really passionate about um, kids' car seats. They're just so hot. Oh, you and pick them up and they're the whole backside sweaty. Yep, yep. Yeah. So um, that's one of my sort of passion projects. Wow, there's so many things like that. I mean, you could you could just go down the line. Um, and so your sales team is out. Pitching the big the big players. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, you know, I, before we go, I just I'm curious, like, how? Okay, just you know, we're we're the purpose of this podcast is to give inspiration to aspiring and early entrepreneurs to hear stories that they can relate to, things that they may have gone through, or things that they can avoid, um, and um, and so what you do, this kind of business to business selling garment side of things, you, you went to science, you, you, you really went heavy on science before you went to selling. Um, yes. but that was that you picked that strategy because it, you, you were going to be the Intel inside, right? So you needed to be science heavy, right? Um, any other advice for people, uh, young, young women or men out there that would like to get into the, the the clothing garment space uh, i know you might get this question a lot at rightfully so and frankly i judge pitch competitions occasionally at the university and it's always one or two usually young ladies that are pitching some type of a garment um startup honestly i see it every year um because they're it's close to home for them whether it's undergarment overgarment whatever there's different, yeah. different creations do you have any um kind of on ready advice that you that you'd like to put out there if I was starting a company that had 
an end consumer good, whatever it is, um, clothing or a new watch, I don't know. Um, yeah. I would spend all my money that I could that I could on Instagram marketing <laughs> and I would define my brand through social media. Mm. Um, and I would have all my inventory in one room and mm. no rent, mm. um, no storefront, no brick and mortar. Mm. And um, I would enjoy the hefty margins of direct consumer versus splitting it with a retailer. Boom. Um, you just like you just like dropped the hammer on some advice right there. Wow. That's a blueprint. That's a blueprint. <laughs> print it. Print it. Send that out. That's amazing. Um, what an incredible way to end this interview on some advice like that from where you sit because you've got I wouldn't say you have the opposite of that, but you have all the entanglements of the things that you've entangled. And now you're able to step back and go, wow, if I could do it right now, this is how I would do it. I have a lot of overhead and some of it is, is not unavoidable. Um, yeah. But because I don't have an end consumer good, I'm an ingredient brand. But if right. I was launching something where I was delivering a good to a, uh, a consumer, yeah. I would definitely go that route. Wow, that was huge, actually. That was unexpected. I, I thought that was really cool because you've got time to think about these things because you're out there and you've got all of, like I said, you've got these entanglements, you've got these you know, overheads and things that you have to have. And all of a sudden you're like, at night you're going, you're, you're thinking to yourself, man, if I could, if I could just do it all yeah. over today, <laughs> this is how you would do it, right? Right, right. Oh. That's my favorite part of this because this is that's the kind of advice that a, a young person out there uh, can really take away because that's part of what we're doing here is we're trying to say, hey, don't do it exactly the way I do it. I'm, I'm being successful at this, but you've, you're in a different era and you've got a new fresh right, opportunity, right. right? Life is very different, you know, year six of birth than it was year one. And right. um, you've got to be able to read the room and, and so to speak. Um, and then assess how you're moving forward. Um, I know we've talked a lot about sort of the nitty and gritty of, of entrepreneur <laughs> life. Um, yes, but I just want to say to, to, to your audience that, um, you know, take the risk if there's no other way mm -hmm. um, and um, try and have a good support system because it's very lonely and you're often way too tired to talk about it when you get home. But yeah. just, um, you know, try and share as much of the burden as you can when it's probably your nature to carry it all yourself. Yeah. Um, but that um, it does take twice as much money. It does take twice as long. Um, yeah. But it uh, it's a journey worth enjoying. Yeah. So, um, so enjoy the ride. Would you would you say on that point? That was a great great uh, point there to wrap. A, you would do it over every time. Like like you would you would you would do it again. Number that's a question. And number two, um, you know, is it also pretty awesome? A lot of times for you personally. Um, I would do it again and again and again and again. 
Um, and I look forward to doing this again. I look forward to Burr taking flight on its own and, and do it all over again with another idea. Um, the, the journey is awesome because I, and this is you know very personal to me, but um, I have three young daughters and I don't care if they have a huge career or if they're a stay at home mom, but I do want them to see an example of what it looks like. And so um, I enjoy the fact that I feel like I'm giving them a good example of what being a working mom is all about and that you can have a career if you want one and you can have you know a great family as well if you want one and they can coexist together um but that you know empowering women is still a pretty important thing and so i'm just trying to do my part and, and if, if if i can only add to that controlling your own destiny and um you know and, and making your own your own ways it's an also a really cool thing for your, your, your um your children to see like that's pretty cool i think you know because that is kind of the essence isn't it of entrepreneurship in a way is like you know, see you know making your own destiny a certain way that's just empowering that yeah i agree that's freaking awesome Mary Catherine Cobb, this has been awesome. This has been really, really fun. I really, really, really enjoyed this. Uh, thank you so much for uh, doing this interview with me. Um, and um, this will be just, I think, a lot of value for a lot, a lot of folks, uh, women and men included, I think, I are going to get a lot out of this. And we I do detail, I do detailed notes of this. I'm almost, I make a blog article pretty much of the uh, of the conversation so people don't even have to watch you know, the whole thing okay. they can can read through it and I'll share all that with you in advance, you know, um, but uh, any, anything else uh, before we, before we close out? I think that's about that's it. About um, from my, from my dining room to your dining room. <laughs> how about, how about we do some dining now? How about we like eat some dinner maybe, right? Exactly. Exactly. Time, right? Or wait, get the, you know, maybe a glass of wine first. Exactly. Uh, hey, thank you so much. My pleasure. pleasure. Can't wait to meet you in person, by the way. I agree. I agree. I look forward to that. Have a good night. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.